Welcome to the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast with me, Laura, and my lovely mum, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Together, we'll be discussing all things parenting, from education to mental health and everything in between. All right, everyone, welcome to the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast. I'm Laura Curtis, I'm an educator and the founder of Questa Kids, and I'm here with my mum, Dr. Ruth Talbot. Hi, everyone. Who is a child psychiatrist and also helps me with Questa Kids. Um, now, today we're doing something a bit different for the podcast because we, or I should say I, had an interview with a woman called uh, Jenny Gay, who has recently written a book called How We Blend, um, and it's all about blended families. Um, but mum, you weren't able to be there for the interview, were you? Why was that? Well, because I had to go to the dentist to have a filling. And um, that's a hugely stressful thing for me. As you know, I hate going to the dentist and I'm completely pathetic and childlike about it. In fact, <laughs> every time I go, I fantasise that my lovely dentist, who's called Ed, has been abducted by aliens on the journey and isn't there. And so I can go home and I don't have to see him. But um, <laughs> anyway, there we go. I'm really sorry I missed this because it sounded really interesting. Well, so um, even if you are scared of the dentist, everyone, consider this your public service announcement to go to the dentist anyway, like mum does, even though yes. she absolutely hates the entire thing. <laughs> it's good for you. Exactly. Not good for the dentist because it makes them feel miserable about their life choices, but it's good for no, you. He knows I love him dearly, but, but he also knows I'm terrified of him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, before we launch into the interview, which is just me and Jenny, let's talk about a, uh, a famous woman that we came across this week. So I was going to talk about one a famous woman that I was researching for the Mexico Country Quest, which is already out, but I, I thought she was so great that I thought I'd tell you about her anyway. Is that all right? Yeah, brilliant. Awesome. So this woman is called Leonia Vasquez Garcia, and she was an entomologist and a lepidopterist, which is someone who specializes in insects and someone who specializes in butterflies, uh, respectively. And she spent a lot of time studying monarch butterflies and particularly how they move all the way from Canada to Mexico on their migration through like multiple generations. So and I, I'm sure you've seen that footage of like monarch butterflies like gathering in in forests in Mexico, right? Yeah. When they're Is sort of all covering over the trees. Yeah. So sort of cover all the trees and it looks like almost like a sort of just like a butterfly soup kind of thing wow. <laughs> or like butterfly decoration. But she also studied the farming of cochineal beetles, which is something that lots of scientists kind of weren't that interested in. Um, and she specifically looked at the traditional or indigenous ways of farming cochineal beetles. Cochineal beetles are used for dyes. Um, I don't know if there's how much they're still used, actually, but they used to be used a lot in like cosmetics and food colorings and things like that um, because they give a really vibrant red color. They, they were in red Smarties, weren't they? I think so. I think so. Yeah, well, isn't I that the reason why there aren't red Smarties anymore? No, you can't. And when I was, when I was a little girl, that was how you made lipstick from red, um, red Smarties. And then, I feel and like that's how I made, that's how I made red, red lipstick as well. well so it know. hadn't been banned. Yeah, well, but they are now, aren't they? There aren't any red Smarties anymore. No, they're all like a bit paler than they used to be. You don't get the yeah, vibrant colours yeah. in Smarties. Yeah, I anymore. guess that's the thing about the past. It's always more exciting. Exactly. Always more <laughs> vibrant and colourful. Um, but she spent a lot of time kind of learning um, indigenous methods, which are obviously... So cochineal beetles land on cacti. And you have to gather a huge number of them in order to make just a small amount of dye. You kind of crush their crush their bodies to make the dye. Um, and I think it's something like 70,000 insects makes one pound of cochineal dye. So wow. it's very labor intensive. Um, and indigenous people, you can't just kind of cut down the cacti and, and shake the beetles off because obviously that would be needlessly destructive. So indigenous people had practices for kind of knocking them off or brushing them off or even individually picking off the insects. Um, and she invested a lot of time in actually researching how that was done, um, which lots of scientists weren't paying attention to at the time. 
And it's that whole interesting thing of people who've observed and practiced this over centuries actually know an enormous amount about how to how to achieve these things more most effectively, even if they Absolutely. seem labor intensive, like picking off 70,000 uh, because <laughs> sound like a great deal of work to me, but I guess it was important if the if the dye was was seen as very useful and very special. Yes, it was definitely. Okay, I think let's get going with the uh, interview if uh, if you're ready. All right, here we go. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest today, uh, Jenny Gay, who is the author of the Howie Blend books, Playdate Adventures with Family and Friends. And she's also a speaker about blended families. Thanks for being here with us today, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. Um, so today we're going to talk about blended families, uh, which is a subject I believe you have quite a lot of experience with, uh, so much that you based your book around blended families. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so I um, I created How We Blend um, just over a year ago now, I think it was, um, and it's six stories in one book. Um, and kind of the, the foundation of the book is to provide children with um, an everyday kind of reflection of the various type of families that we have in society. Um, so children can see themselves within those books. Um, so we, we have um, divorced heteronormative family right. in there. We have um, lesbian couple, gay men, adoptive, um, interfamily adoption. Um, there's obviously different kinds of um, ethnicities within the book as well, and also physical abilities. So I just really mm -hmm. wanted um, children to be able to see what the real world looks like and the, the world in which they live um, in their books, because I was finding um, that my kids were coming home from school and just engaging on an everyday uh, basis, even within our own bookshelf at home, um, with books that yeah. didn't reflect their reality. Um, and I think that that's really confusing for children. Um, so I just wanted to create something that was a mirror image of when children walk out of their homes every day, they're seeing that within their everyday engagement with their reading and their play. Absolutely. I think it's really important for kids to see themselves and their own families reflected, but also for kids who don't come from, you know, necessarily families that that go against what the traditional understanding of a family is for them to also be able to see it so that you are making sure that everyone is is kind of catching up to that reality in terms of books um, and films that we see that diversity for everyone. It can only Absolutely. benefit everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about your your children. How old are they? So my gorgeous children or stepchildren, um, if you want to be technical about it, um, <laughs> they're nine and seven, mm -hmm. um, Francesca and Harrison. Um, I met them when they were one and three is when I met. Um, so I met my partner, Sam, um, just about, mm -hmm. say about seven years ago now. Um, and it was for, you know, it was kind of like connection at first sight. <laughs> um, I just kind of Aww. fell for them right away. Um, and, you know, we've kind of been this unit ever since. Um, and I know that's not everyone's experience. And I'm very lucky that um, yeah. when I met Sam, the children were so young. Um, it really helped us to bond yeah. right away. Um, and they started calling me mommy a few years later. And um, they've just, you know, kind wow. of... Yeah, we've just melded together like a unit. And I know I'm super blessed that that is our dynamic. Um, and I want to <laughs> help other families achieve that as well. Absolutely. Were there any kind of difficulties at all? Any tensions or confusions with the kids? Or, or they just kind of went into it straight away? So um, from the, the children's point of view, no, not at all. Um, we were very open about what the dynamic was at the beginning. So obviously Sam and I were just dating mm -hmm. at the beginning, but we it was really important to me to wait quite a while until I was introduced to the children just to make sure that Sam and I were yeah. um, you know, serious and that we were we had had the discussion about having a future together. Um, an all cards on the table, if you will, um, discussion, um, because I came from a really... <laughs> healthy family dynamic. Uh, my parents are still together over 40 years. Mm. Um, and I think that they did parenting wow. quite well. <laughs> so I um, really, wanted, <laughs> yeah, um, I really just wanted if I was going to be with somebody with children, it was important to me that we 
ensured that we were creating a healthy and strong foundation for them. Yeah, and talking about it the whole time, right? Rather than just assuming that everything's going to naturally fall into Absolutely. place, that you're actually putting in the work to talk between partners, but also, you know, about the kind of family dynamics that you want to promote and then the stuff that you ne don't necessarily want to promote. Yeah, and I think, well, when the kids were really young, um, uh, they, so they have three moms. So Sam was married before to a woman and that's who she had Frankie and Harry with. And mm -hmm. um even though they were young, they knew that they lived in two different homes and that's kind of all they've ever known because um, they got divorced um, yeah. when the children were very, 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 very young. Um, so it was always mm -hmm. a discussion of, you know, this is, you know, mommy's girlfriend, Jenny, and um, that kind of morphed in. And so they would call me Jenny. And then as they were kind of growing into their speech and their understanding of their surroundings and the feeling of that they had around me um, and when they were within our unit, they just, I mean, it was Harrison first who started calling me mummy. Um, and then Frankie kind of followed suit and Sam and I had a discussion about it just to make sure she was okay with it. Um, and yeah. we explained to them at the time, so we weren't married at the time. Um, and we explained to them, you know, we're not married, but you know, um, you can call me whatever you'd like. Um, if that feels natural to you, then yeah you know, that's, that's cool that we're fine with that. Um, and then we got married and then it was just, I don't know, it was just so natural and progressed so smoothly. Um, Progression. But all along the way, we were very open with the kids and we always tell them, you know, you can tell us anything if you have any questions. And I, you know, I'm, like I said to you earlier, I'm quite an open book and I, I'm an oversharer. <laughs> So um, I was often, you know, <laughs> probing the kids and just saying, you know, do you have any questions about this? Do you want to talk about that? And they'd always be like, oh, my God, no. Or like, you know, or they would. They would absolutely start having a <laughs> conversation. So, yeah, um, I just think open communication, making uh, making the children feel safe and creating an environment where um, was really important to me, where they could feel like no question was a bad question and they were never going to be, you know, in trouble yeah. or, you know, that they're not responsible for our feelings if they ask questions that, you know, might incite, you know, certain feelings or whatnot, that we are adults and they yeah. can tell us anything and we're going to respond in a mature way kind of thing. Yeah, and that their feelings aren't going to damage the the bond or anything they can have those feelings and feel exactly. safe having those feelings yes yes still it must have been a really powerful moment for you when they called you mom for the first time right i i honestly like i sobbed <laughs> i, <laughs> I it can was, imagine yeah it was just like it caught me so off guard when he said it and then you know Sam and I kind of looked at each other and thought, oh, okay, let's see if he says it again. So we didn't, we didn't say, we didn't prompt or say anything to him. We just kind of kept the conversation going. No, no. And then like, you know, mm -hmm. the next time that day, he kept just calling me mummy and, you know, so it, it just happened so naturally and so out of the blue, but I guess children, children live and, and go on feeling. It's all they know because they're in when they're small, Absolutely. obviously always in survival mode. And who can I trust to to help me survive? Right. Like that's that kind of inherent yeah. instinct that that children have um, and they gravitate towards adults that provide that for them. So I think because we mm -hmm. just provided such a, a healthy, safe environment, that's he felt like I was his maternal one of his maternal figures. Yeah, Absolutely. So how do you find um, co-parenting with Sam's ex-partner? Is that Has that been a smooth transition as well? Because I can imagine, you know, while Sam might be happy for you to be called mommy, that could be an area of tension. Yeah, so, um, you know, our situation is not what I would like it to be. Um, I've, I've done loads mm -hmm. of these podcasts in the past and I don't think I've ever been truly forthcoming about the real kind of nitty gritty about our um, parenting situation with the other parent. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you and your mom are familiar with the various kinds of, there's co-parenting, parallel parenting, there's counter-parenting, there's loads of different yeah. ways that this is done. Um, in our situation, unfortunately, the other parent has some um, 
mental health issues and personality disorders and things of that nature, which makes it, um, which is obviously, you know, very kind of sensitive for us. And I don't talk about it often. Um, But I think it is important. I'm at kind of a place now where, and I think that this podcast probably is a good place to do it um, because you guys are the professionals, Um, you know, and (laughs) I think there was, I, I think I wish I, there was more information out there for um, parents to deal with um, the other parent who chooses to counter parent and create kind of parental alienation situations, mm. um, you know, as well as co-parenting with um, people with personality disorders, because it's very challenging. And um, it's also challenging yeah. for the children involved as well. Um, and so I've been kind of living the last seven years testing out different um, tools and whatnot to mitigate the psychological and emotional risk to the kids. Um, And I just, I wish, Mm -hmm. and my hope would be that there, you know, in the next few years, there's more, more and more tools out there, like practical, tangible tools that um, the parents can, can utilize um, in dealing with that situation. Um, And I'm actually like experiencing a lot more of my friends and people around me that are dealing with the same thing. So I'm not sure if there's a rise in this right now um, in terms of mental health issues and obviously within mental health issues, but specifically personality disorders because it's such a niche thing. Um, So yeah, I would love to get your thoughts on that and and any experiences you guys have. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because we just not that long ago recorded a podcast on co-parenting and, and, you know, and the main thing that we were talking about with co-parenting is the importance of putting the children first Absolutely. but then of course you have people who find that very very difficult um and the, and i think they they mean to put the child first but it's it can be difficult to do to do in practice especially when you have mental health issues kind of coming in as well mm-hmm. um often people who are struggling with mental health are just trying to Get survive by. and cope with themselves so the idea yeah. of, of of yeah exactly the idea of kind of bringing in additional parties whether it be kids or whether it be other co-parents is incredibly complex for them to be able to do mm-hmm. um and and it is it is very difficult it's it's you know it's something and i think you're right in saying that we need more resources because there's not a way to fix it there's not a way to solve it and it will and, the, and everyone have perfect co-parenting for the rest of their lives it will exactly because those kinds of issues are there for life so all you can do is yes. try to mitigate the damage of that and the fallout of that as much as you can yes. with the kids um, and to not take it personally. And I think for, as adults, that's one of the hardest things to do when you are parallel parenting or um, trying to balance out the other parents' counter-parenting tactics um, is to yes. not take it um, to heart and get out of your amygdala and all that kind of stuff and take a step back. Um, and Absolutely. I just think- and to try and model tolerance and calmness, but also boundaries, because you need boundaries as well. You can't just take everything that you're you're given in terms Correct. of negative behavior. You also yeah. have to be able to teach your kids, this is acceptable behavior and this is not acceptable behavior. Right. And these are the consequences if unacceptable behavior is described. Without villainizing the other parent. Um, Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and, and and I think absolutely. And br- when you are able to bring kids up with a greater understanding of mental health and mental health issues, that become that's a slightly easier task. If you know, being able to say to kids, whoever uh, your, the co-parent is behaving this way because they are they're unwell they find some things difficult and this is one of the ways that it comes out mm-hmm. um and you know they're not trying to be mean they're not trying to be difficult it's just one of the things that happens i think another thing that that is by no way a fix but is very helpful sometimes is being able to emphasize what the positive things that that other co-parent has you know regardless of of kind of their mental health struggles or their counterparenting, they still love their kids. So that's something that can always be emphasized for kids so that you don't get into this binary of good parent, bad parent, which I can imagine if you're the, the in, in finger quotes, bad parent can yeah. feel very damaging to you. If you feel like you're always being cast in the role of being the bad one, 
that ends up fueling a lot of the conflict sometimes. So the more that kids can kind of recognize there are different ways of cope, different ways of parenting and, yeah. you know, there are positives everywhere and everyone loves them. Do you, do you know what? It's funny because um, like everything you're saying is resonating and um, there is a gentleman that I know and he is going through a very similar experience to mine. Um, and I'm mm. literally giving him sentences, responses, sayings mm. to not only to his children, but to his ex to kind of calm and, and you know, to get to the place they need to get to without being dragged in to the combat, you know, and also to give the children exactly what you said, kind of positive affirmations about the other parent um, overlaid with boundary language. Um, and I think if there was a book or if there there was, you know, a document, yeah. if there was something with, because people with these personality disorders, they do have a repertoire of language mm. responses and behaviors that they will use every single time. And there are um, yeah. responses that you can give that kind of diffuse the situation. Um, and and a range of them, right? Like not, yeah. not necessarily that one will fix everything, but that right. there's a range of different things you can say and you can kind of cycle through them. Yes. Um, so yeah, if, if there was a document or a book with that, honestly, it would change, I think, a lot of people's lives in terms of parallel parenting um, in that dynamic. Absolutely. It's really interesting that you say that because I, the thing that I do apart from running this podcast is I run a company called Quest to Kids. And one of the things that we try to do throughout the narrative of this kind of journey that kids travel on through this online game is that we try to model good behavior and bad behavior. So for example, when they encounter maybe somebody with a disability, we will model some of the things that you shouldn't say and some of the things that you should say. Because my belief is that you can say to kids, be nice to people with disabilities, but they don't know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. They really need actually kind of almost like a sentence framework of like, don't say, oh, what's wrong with your legs? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. They need something a bit more explicit, but it's interesting kind of what you're saying is almost that adults need the same thing as well. They and do. why would we think that adults know how to deal with the situation any better than kids? They exactly. maybe that is a resource that is really helpful. The literal sentences that you should say of when you're trying to calm somebody down, when you're trying to arrange something, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's almost like a, yeah, a literal, like a sheet that you could just read down of like, try this, then try this, then try this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be revolutionary. <laughs> Especially if you're going through divorce <laughs> proceedings or custody or, you know, when you have to have um, engagement with that person and it's like the last thing you want to do because it's impossible mm. every single time. Um, but you need to get to the outcome. So navigating it is next to impossible. But like, yeah, if we had that kind of um, tool at our fingertips, it would just change the game completely, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to a slightly lighter topic. Um, <laughs> I love lighter although topics. this is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> so I'm interested um, with your kids, if, you know, the fact that they have three mummies, mm -hmm. is that something that they, that they, uh, that gets talked about in school, that they find difficult to talk about with other kids? Do other kids find that strange? What's been the kind of school response to having um, a slightly different looking family to maybe what would be typical? So from the children's perspective, um, it's brilliant. All the other, like Frankie has friends who've said, it's not fair, Frankie, Frankie's got three mummies. I want three mummies. And um, I, you know, <laughs> I think from a child's perspective, they think it's, it's wonderful. It's just like this extra, you know, layer of joy that they get in their lives, right? Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of adults can take a page out of kids' books because um, if there was any negative responses to Frankie or, or Harry from um, classmates or other children their age, that would have been coming from, they would have heard that from their parents. So I always say, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's the adults that poison the children's minds. Children don't think that way. Um, 
so yeah, it's been really positive um, from the children's perspective. Now from maybe the other parents, maybe they have some issues with it, but nobody's ever said anything to us. Um, nor do I think they would dare. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian in me would come out. But um, yeah, it, no, we've had a really, <laughs> a really positive experience and their schools have been great. And, and it, you know, it's it, we're just like any other family. Um, there really isn't... Absolutely. Differences, you know, we run our households the same, you know, we look the same as the other moms, like, you know, everything's, there's, there's no difference. Great. Okay, so you wrote this book, How We Blend Playdate Adventures with Family and Friends, which is all about all these different, diverse looking families. How did you come up with the idea? What was the process of writing it? Did you kind of do research and talk to other families? How did all of that work? So, um, uh, just a little bit about my background is I'm my my former career mm. was in financial services, um, so totally different, totally boring, um, and I did that for just over a decade. <laughs> and then when I met Sam, and obviously we started building this blended family, um, that's when I noticed that there was a huge hole in the specifically the mainstream street. Sorry, the mainstream uh, market. So you can find books about um, LGBTQ families and um, interracial families and all of that great stuff. For sure, you can find it, but you really have to dig for it. And my my biggest um, yeah. disappointment was that I was I was digging for this. I couldn't just grab it off of the shelf um, in the local bookstore mm -hmm. or wherever. And and so that's when I had the idea to create the book for, just for our kids, um, and that we could read them every night and blah blah blah. Um, but then I was talking to other families and they said, well, even though they were actually heteronormative families, they very much wanted to expose their children um, to the various ways that you can have a family because that's the real world that we live in. So um, I was encouraged mm -hmm. by a couple of people to um, turn it into, um, you know, a, a book that was published and my wife was super supportive about it as well. And that was kind of where the inspiration came from the process nice. of writing the book <laughs> was slightly different um and <laughs> <laughs> um, it was I mean it was it was fun um but you know I think I'm not I'm not a perfectionist but I certainly wanted it to be exactly what I had envisioned um so it took me you know, a while mm -hmm. to get it to where I wanted it to be. But um, yeah, it's, uh, for me, it's, it's exactly where um, I had envisioned it would be. Awesome. And do the kids, presumably your kids love it? Yeah, they love it. And um, specifically, and this was kind of the thing that warmed my heart <laughs> the most, when, when the book was published, and we had it delivered to the house, um, we were reading all the stories together. Um, and we got to Liza, um, one of the characters in the book. And when we finished the book, my son's eyes just lit up and he said, oh, mommy, that's, that's our family. And I just thought, yes, this is our family. And that's what I want every child who reads the book to feel like they are seen and they are validated. Um, because that's not kind of the, the way that it is right now. You know, it's still that heteronormative, um, mommy and daddy are still together, um, predominantly white, you know, and that's just not reality, you know, with half of marriages ending in divorce and blended families on the rise, um, specifically in the UK, um, we've got to do better for our kids. Absolutely. I once, uh, a long, long time ago, I was working at a school and uh, a parent came in to me, she was absolutely furious because her kid had managed to get hold, she had got a book from the library in which divorce was mentioned. And she was furious that her kid had been exposed to the idea of divorce. And she wanted me to go through the library and remove all books that mentioned divorce. Oh my God. Um, and I said, first of all, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. I've got better things to do. Um, <laughs> but, but then I said, you know, do you honestly think that your child is gonna make it through primary school and then secondary school without meeting any children who've experienced divorce? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's one thing in a book, but in real life, this is the reality of how 
lots of families exist and you know it can be a a negative or a positive but we don't have to stigmatize it just the topic of divorce itself it's something that is part of how we operate absolutely i mean in the last six months there's four or five of my children's friends parents are in the process of divorcing um and a couple of them have asked my my kids you know what's it like living in two houses and you know how to how does this work how does that work and um which i think is brilliant like kids should be asking each other those questions yeah. and leaning on each other um especially if they feel like they can't speak to their parents and that's kind of one of the reasons why i'm having all these discussions is because i want i want us as parents to do better you know our job is to yes we're we're raising children yes but what we are what we're actually doing is we we should be trying to raise functional adults um, and divorce yes. doesn't need to be um, traumatizing for children. It's only traumatizing if we are avoiding doing the work on ourselves. Um, and mm-hmm. it's our job as parents to do the work on ourselves. Um, so I, yeah, I, you know, that woman who asked you to do that is clearly um, delusional. <laughs> And wildly unhealthy. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that to her face, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, I probably wouldn't have been able to hide my my shock and horror, to be honest. But you, you did very well. <laughs> I think I was just sort of baffled. Really, I just sort of stood there, sort of thinking, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, like twenty twenty three. Come on. Okay. Yeah. Um, so. Then in terms of like practical advice that you would give to families who, who are dealing with with kind of a co-parenting and blending family dynamic, blending blended families. I mean, we've already a lot of this has already come out. But what would be your advice for somebody who is kind of maybe entering into that kind of dynamic? Um, I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's for me, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make and we're all human. Yes, but. Um, there is enough information out there for us to be able to do better. Um, so I think one of the biggest mistakes that parents make is they make their feelings their children's feelings. So they put our thoughts mm. and our emotions in their heads because we're going through a hard time. And that yeah. it can have devastating and long-term effects on our kids. Um, so that would be one of my biggest pieces of advice is go get yourself a therapist and start working through your trauma, start working through um, and identifying the type of life you want to have, get comfortable with your new, your new life, the new normal for yourself um, and get some tools as to how to start hopefully co-parenting with your ex. Um, And then I think the other thing is, and I heard this somewhere and it just really kind of resonated for me. So I'm stealing somebody else's quote right now. Um, so I can't take full credit for it. Um, but it's to show them the way and then get out of the way. So yeah. we need to give our children the tools and then let them fly and be there to support them along the way. But don't get in the way. Because their journey is their journey. Yeah. And it's not our job to dictate how their life is supposed to go in our heads. Their life is for them, not for us. Yeah. It's interesting because my mom's not here on the podcast, but one of the things that she talked about, she has talked about with me before is that parenting is about teaching children how to be adults and to be functional members of society yes and part of that is about them moving away from you and not being your baby anymore Mm -hmm. and you know there's a bit that will always still be a baby but but that's what you're doing you're laying the path for them to be able to do all the things that you do for them themselves yeah and hopefully that the love that you the love and the kindness and the care and the tolerance that you provide to them they will then provide it to somebody else whether that's a child or, or other people that come into their lives. But that's your job. Your job is not to keep them in the same place, but to set them on the path and help them at the beginning of the path and then a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less until eventually they can walk by themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Spot on. 
Um, so you you are Canadian. You're from Canada. I am. Um, <laughs> do you do you kind of this is something that it's interesting for me from from a Quester Kids perspective because we teach mm. about different countries and different cultures and we are actually working on um, a Canada country quest right now. Um, but I'm interested if you kind of actively involve your kids in in kind of Canadian culture. Have they visited Canada? Do you teach them about Canada? How does that work? Absolutely. I love obviously I love being Canadian. I'm super proud to be Canadian. Um, and my kids are proud as well. So yeah, we've been to Canada. Um, we went for Christmas um, a few a few years ago, and they just absolutely loved it. It was like this magical winter wonderland for them. My parents, you know, had this <laughs> yeah. huge um, hill in the back of the house, so we like took a sledging, and um, we did um, like a reindeer ride on a carriage, and we had hot chocolate, and you know, we did all of the things that children would think the North Pole would be like. Um, and yeah. it was super magical for them. Um, and again, like going back, like this is, you know, my parents are great parents and they, you know, they created this whole magical winter wonderland for them, um, which was just brilliant. Um, but yeah, we, you know, when there's Canada day, we, we get them like Canada day t-shirts on the 1st of July and, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about things that are Canadian and, um, yeah, it's it's important for them to know that because even though they're not biologically my children, um, it is a part of their heritage too yeah. because we're a family now. So, yeah, they're really proud um, to be pseudo Canadian. <laughs> that's Canadian so proxy. I think yeah. that's really nice. I had my <laughs> so my best friend growing up was uh, is Canadian. Um, and I think I embraced her Canadianness more than she did, because um, this was in the UK. And I used to um, every every year on Canada Day, I would dress up, dress up um, as a beaver, and um, <laughs> sing Oh Canada" to her. And she found it incredibly embarrassing, and I thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> so. I don't know if you've ever heard of. That I just... am all for embracing other cultures. <laughs> I love it. And if you do go to Canada, since you love being a beaver so much, um, you should go to Ottawa <laughs> on the Rideau Canal and get yourself a beaver tail, which is like the most amazing <gasps> dessert you will ever have. It's just like deep fried dough Ooh. with cinnamon and sugar and you can put all sorts of things on it. And it's insane. And you get one of those when it's freezing cold you put your skates on you skate on the Rideau Canal and you eat your beaver tail and you don't get more Canadian than that <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe she never told me there was a dessert <laughs> I'm definitely going <laughs> and then you follow that up with a poutine <laughs> oh yeah absolutely I know all about poutine <laughs> okay so <laughs> Um, so what's coming? What's next for you? Are there more books coming soon? So I am actually. What's, where do you in, go from here? So I am. So I see kind of how we blend as um, a four pronged brand. Um, I'm in discussions. Actually, I have a meeting tomorrow to turn it into a television, a t uh, animated television show for kids. Um, so I'm trying to get wow. that off the ground. So if there's any networks out there that are listening that, you know, want to have a chat, <laughs> I'm free anytime. Um, and I would, I want to mm -hmm. really make it into um, an educational tool as well. So we kind of touched on it before, but um, with the government mandate um, that happened in 2020, which um, mandates schools to bring in um, relationships, um, sexual health, um, yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff into their PSHE lessons. Um, I think it's really imperative that they have books like how we blend in the classrooms, but that there's tools associated with um, the various types of family dynamics that the children are going to come in contact with and that their family might also come in contact with. Um, so, yeah, you know, obviously divorce being one um, of, you know, the issues around that. But I think there's lots more that that schools in my opinion, are responsible to do. And I would love to kind of support yes. in that in that journey, um, you know, with an educational app around how we blend um, educational books, additional kind of um, fun reading books as well. So I see it in that um, capacity as well. Mm. 
Great. So um, where can we find where can we find the books, the Howie Blend books, if there are any listeners who are interested? Yeah, so you can find Howie Blend. So um, it's not how we blend, but the little boy's name, who is the main, main character, is called Howie and his last name is called Blend. Um, and there's mm-hmm. a big rainbow on the book, so you can't really miss it. And you can find it on Amazon, um, <laughs> Barnes and Noble online, um, uh, Waterstones online, um, WH Smith online. Mm-hmm. Um, where else? There's loads of places. Basically, just type it into your Google search engine and it should it should pop up. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, so we're closing down now, but we one of the things that we like to we're going to ask all of our guests is what do you wish you'd known about being a parent before you came one became one? So I think, yeah, it's a tricky it's a tricky question because there there's quite a few. And now there's obviously like the practical things like how many snacks <laughs> you're going to have to make, but. Yes. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I wasn't really expecting was how painful it is to be a parent. Um, mm-hmm. you, lo- you want the best for your kids and growing up is really, really tough. And their feelings are going to get hurt yeah. and they're going to get confused. And, you know, you want to keep them safe from all the, you know, bad people and the danger out there. And you're just like this open nerve all the time because (laughs) you want to keep them safe um so i didn't expect it to be as painful as it is um and and that all of that i mean the kind of silver lining to that is that because it's all born out of the pain is born out of the love right so you love them so much that it hurts (laughs) essentially um so that's (laughs) the thing that i wasn't prepared for yeah yeah wow that's really um meaningful i think advice and and i guess part of being a parent is is kind of walking the line in in terms of how you behave towards your kids it's walking that line between how much you love them and want them to not hurt and how much you know that some of the stuff they've got to handle on their own and it's not yours it's theirs exactly and your instinct is to try and control the situation so that they don't get hurt and like I said before, show them the way and then yeah. get out of the way. Um, and that's really hard to yeah. do. That's really hard to do. And it's something that I've had to <laughs> practice a lot. And you know what else, actually? Yeah. Um, I found that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always one to kind of own, you know, my mistakes and things like that. But when I never, I wasn't prepared for um, the feeling of apologizing to kids. And I know it sounds silly, but I don't think enough parents do it because we're so human. And, you know, when we when we make mistakes with our kids, um, there's almost like a shame and like a don't show that you did something wrong, you know, just kind of like double down on it. Um, And I've actually found there's a lot of power in apologizing to my children when I feel like I overreacted to something or, you know, you know, oftentimes children pin themselves against each other. So, you know, they're both saying, oh, no, he did it. No, she did it. And no, somebody's not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And the other day, I um, I didn't believe my son. And I and I thought that my daughter was the one telling the truth. Um, anyways, long story short, she was the one who was actually lying about what had happened. And um, and mm-hmm. I pulled him aside and, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that I was blaming you for something you didn't do. I, I feel terrible about that. Do you forgive me? And his whole face just kind of relaxed. And he's like, yeah, mommy, of course, it's okay. And we had like a hug. And I just think we need to do that more with our kids. You know, there's so much power in apology. Um, We're not above that just because we're older than them. We make mistakes and we need to own them with our kids. Absolutely. There's something about the parent-child dynamic that makes parents feel like they have to know everything all the time. Yes. And they have to be right all the time. So therefore, if there's proof that they they weren't right, they find it very parents find it very very difficult to, to to work with that and to transform it into what we would do with another adult, which hopefully, which is apologize, check that everything's all right, and then move on. I see it a lot with, with learning as well, 
which of course is much less emotional than, mm-hmm. than than kind of having done a wrong to your child. But parents find it really difficult to just say, I don't know. I don't know what a quadratic equation is. I don't know why <laughs> the sky is blue. Um, and it's just such an interesting insight into into kind of our understanding of what a parent is. If a parent is the, the one that has to know everything, that means the kid is the one who doesn't know anything. And actually we have a lot to learn from making that dynamic a lot more fluid. Um, and and allowing our kids to be right sometimes and us to be wrong sometimes. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, It's been really great speaking to you and understanding firsthand some of the dynamics around blended families. Um, Remember, everyone, you can buy the Howie Blend books online at most bookstores. Do you have social media handles so that our listeners can follow you in different places? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow Howie Blend on Instagram at at Howie Blend. Okay, great. And we will put those links in the show notes as well so that everyone uh, can find them as well. All right, Jenny, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I really uh, enjoyed that. Okay, uh, I think it was a pretty successful interview and a conversation that we had. I think uh, you've listened to it now and Jenny brought up some really, really interesting things that I hadn't considered, never having really been part of a kind of a, a co-parenting or, or really that much of a blended family environment other than like as an outsider. What did you think? I found it absolutely fascinating. Really, really, really interesting. And uh, yeah, I think people are going to enjoy it. It's great. Yeah. Um, I did want to pose the question to you, um, which kind of came up in the um, in the interview that that I tried to answer, but I think you're going to have a more interesting perspective, which is about trying to co-parent when when there is a mental health issue involved. You know, Jenny mentioned sort of personality disorders and and, and kind of severe mental health issues that we're talking about when dealing with a co-parent. That means that, like I said in the podcast, they're probably trying their best. But it still can be quite difficult for the the adult dynamic and that can then sp- spill out onto the kids. What would you say about how to deal with that situation? So I think with all situations concerning children and issues around, you know, around the adults, the key thing is to keep in mind what it's like for that child. So, mm. um, you know, there's got to be a boundary about what's, what's okay, what the child needs in order to feel safe. And when there are, you know, two parents involved, you can balance that out. If one parent isn't able to do certain things, the other parent can, um, mm. you know, step up and, 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 and take on some of, some of the additional responsibilities. Of course, when it's a co-parenting situation, when the relationship between the adults is not so good, that becomes more complicated. Um, and sometimes it can get caught up with, the adults' feelings towards each other, um, and then it's easier to lose sight of what the child needs. Um, mm. So I think I think keeping the child's best interests at the centre of everything that you do is is really important. Um, and the other thing is, as you said, Laura, that generally speaking, people who are not well, you know, psychologically not well. They do know what their responsibilities are and they do try their very, very, very best to be the parent that they they they, they know their child needs. But um, if they're not well, it can sometimes seem much more overwhelming than it, than it does, you know, to, to all of us. Um, and there needs to be a lot of sympathy and a lot of understanding, but also a lot of clarity you know, however rough you're feeling or however cross you're feeling or whatever, you still have certain minimal minimal things that you have to do you have to provide the child with you know a sense of safety and 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 certainty uh and that the parent has to be reliable and that sometimes if somebody's really not very well maybe they need to just step away and be helped to step away in a non-judgmental way until they're well enough to take that on again um i mean does that does that make sense I think so. I mean, I think it's one of those things that still is really difficult in practice. And of course, Jenny is the is the kind of the the third parent. So that also may be that she's not the right person to be undertaking that work with with the co-parent. You know, it's it's sometimes I think it's a little bit like managing in-law relationships. <laughs> like 
each partner is responsible for their own parents because once you get kind of cross cross negotiations (laughs) where someone is negotiating one who yeah it gets really complicated and there's lots of emotional minefields that if you're not if you're not the primary relationship you don't necessarily know that those minefields are there yeah yeah um but actually in jenny's situation there are three adults who are yes. who are concerned, and you know Jenny as the as the as the as the new partner uh, is actually a resource as well as absolutely you know creating an, an even more complicated situation. Um, yeah, and and you know presumably Jenny can support her partner and and you know try to again without making the waters more muddy, just keep everybody remembering we've got to think about the child first and everything else has to has to happen after that um and in a way their their view can be clearer than than the the two co-parents you know two other co-parents who who are also caught up with each other and the and the difficulty of the of the person with mental health problems yeah i think that's maybe even a really helpful way of thinking about it of thinking hang on i can be the person who is who is on the side of this who who can keep a clear mind and can yeah. focus on the kids and that's something that i think came across really really strongly for me in her interview is how much work she is doing and how much thinking and processing she is doing on what is the impact for for the kids yeah. um and then the yeah. other thing that i i kind of said to her was to also make sure that the you know if there is a parent who maybe struggles with their mental health to also emphasize the really positive things that they bring because there are really positive things yeah there's there's a lot they're probably really exciting and fun and that's good too you know it doesn't all have to be serious you know cooperative co-parenting all the time there can be other stuff too and maybe we should talk at some point you know in a in a more general way about how um you know how being a parent with mental health problems presents extra challenges. Mm. You know, maybe that's a subject that we should perhaps think about in a separate podcast altogether because it's such a yeah. big subject. Um, and mental health problems, are, you know, mental health issues are, are relatively common um, amongst the population. And there are lots of children who are living in households where one of the parents is has times of, of not feeling great. And, and yeah. You know, and yet still needs to be a parent. It still needs to look after them. Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting yeah, one, and I'm sure lots of people have. Yeah, lots of people have opinions and perspectives and different ways of handling it. Yeah, yeah. So, Laura, there's a question from one of our listeners, which I think you will be able to help us with, um, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to so- read it? Samantha has has, um, sent us a message to say, my son is completely obsessed by playing online games, particularly Minecraft and Roblox. Uh, Roblox. What's it called? Roblox. Roblox, okay. But I'm not sure about them. All his friends are completely obsessed as well. Are they safe? Which one is better? How can I learn more about this? The whole thing is making me feel really old. Well, Samantha, I sympathise because I don't—I haven't even heard of Roblox, but there we go. Laura, what do you think? And you've only heard of Minecraft because I bang on about it all the time, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'll start off by just talking a little bit about what they are. So both Minecraft and Roblox are sandbox games, which means that they're games that don't... They have like a... There's kind of like an overall directive but it doesn't follow a story in the same way as like rescuing the princess in Mario Kart or something like that Um, so it's much more a space where kids can explore and build things and do things by themselves so they are actually associated really strongly with with creativity and problem solving when I was doing my um, diploma in digital education we were required to to play in Minecraft as part of our part of my master's level studies um so for from an education perspective uh, they can be incredibly beneficial for kids Um, and particularly roblox has um has quite a strong kind of coding background so if your kid is really into coding and wanting to learn about coding they are they're really really great Um, a couple of other things so minecraft you you buy up front from Microsoft, just like a regular video game. Um, you can also buy stuff in game. So you can buy kind of like upgrades, um, but you don't have to. 
Uh, Roblox is free, um, but there is there's a kind of encouragement to um, to add Robux, which is their kind of form of currency, and then buy currency. And there's quite a lot of upselling. So just be aware, like Roblox is free, but your kids will want to buy extra stuff on there. Um, so what sort of extra stuff is it? Like kind of upgrades, access to different things. Kind of like, do you remember The Sims? Yeah, yeah. How you can kind of like buy extra clothes and stuff and, and extra wallpapers and things like that. It kind of works a little bit like that. So you can still play even if you don't buy stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but it's kids. Like they will want to buy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so then are they safe? Generally speaking, yes. Um, they They are... There's an awareness, even though they're not necessarily only for kids, there's an awareness that that kids use them. They are incredibly popular with children. So there is a kind of there's a companies are taking that into consideration with these games. Minecraft is created and monitored by developers. So any new stuff that goes on there has been created by a developer, whereas Roblox is a much more free for all. There's lots of different games on there, single player, multiplayer, and anyone can create content so it's also monitored in terms of what gets put on there but it's also very large and you know how monitoring works is like something goes up and then they have to take it down so there's always a risk that kids can get muddled up in things that that you might not yeah exactly uh, minecraft tends to be more solo focused although it doesn't have to be and roblox has a real has quite a strong chat focus um, you can turn the chat feature off but it's kind of part of the part of the program. You can kind of you can you can limit who your kids are talking to, whether new people can approach them, that kind of thing. But for a lot of kids, being able to chat to their friends within the game is part of the appeal. That's part of what makes it so exciting for kids. Um, so those are just some things to to be aware of. And I generally say, like, if your kids into coding, Roblox can be incredibly beneficial. Um, but if they just kind of want to play a game, then Minecraft is also is, can be really very creative and problem solving focused. Um, yeah, what else? A couple of things. How can you learn more? I'm going to put two links in the show notes, um, which are kind of like uh, YouTube videos that are guides for parents to uh, to kind of you can just watch them easily. And there are a couple of things that you can watch out for and learn about and know about. Um, about both of those things couple of things to be aware of beware of uh, discord which is like a sort of um, it's a social media platform that's very very popular with gamers and there are different servers that have focuses on different things so there's a minecraft server i'm sure there's a roblox server as well um, and they're often part of the experience of using both of those things although it's not a requirement i would say you're not allowed to have an account on Discord if you're under 13. You shouldn't have a, an account if you're under 13. Discord, you should be monitored for over 13s because there are some very adult spaces on Discord. Um, so if your kid is looking to complement the stuff they do on Minecraft on a Roblox, I would say be really, really careful of Discord. Another thing to be aware of, particularly on Roblox, is account hacking and scams are more of an issue than than kind of predators or inappropriate content so make sure you're talking to kids about what scams are giving out information giving out passwords like that's another part of online safety and digital literacy um, that's really important as well um, i've heard reports that sometimes accounts on roblox can get lost which then includes involves losing your robux as well so just it might be worthwhile and then kids get really disappointed because all the stuff that they've worked on is gone so just make sure kids are kind of aware of that so they don't get too disappointed if that does happen um yeah how was that for an answer pretty comprehensive actually and uh, hopefully that will address the the concerns that samantha had uh, okay, I think uh, we're kind of going to wrap up for now. Uh, thanks again to Jenny for being our very first podcast guest. Um, it was a bit of a learning curve, but I think it went pretty well. As always, everyone, if you have a listener question, please drop it into us at the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast Instagram page, or you can 
also contact us on the Facebook page as well. Um, we're very happy to make questions anonymous if that's what you prefer. And if you like the podcast, please like, subscribe, send to other people, recommend it to other people, write us a review. That would be really, really great. Um, I think that's everything for now. Great. Right. Well, thanks very much. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye. The Let's Talk About Parenting podcast is sponsored by Questa Kids an online educational game for kids aged 7 to 12. Questa Kids follows Questa and Zeke on a journey around the world, travelling through time, and teaches children about geography, history, maths, culture, and plenty more. Questa Kids makes learning fun. So sign up today at questakids.com for a free 30-day trial. You can also get 15% off with the code LET'S TALK ABOUT.